You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, it is good to be with you at church today. Give it up. Give a big hand for Royal Company leading us in worship. Love it. Every single week, they do an incredible job. My name is Chris Holcomb. I am one of the pastors here at Bethany First Church, and it is good to be able to preach with you this morning and share God's Word. We have been in a sermon series called Healing Conversations, and if you've been apart for the last few weeks, you know that God is doing something uh, in our lives. God is doing something through this series and the scriptures that we've read and through the book that many of us are reading together. Do you guys think, Pastor Rick, he's been doing a pretty good job preaching, don't you agree? I think so as well. But he, uh, he, he is out this week, and I am preaching. And, and when he first told me that I'm going to be preaching out of, out of the book, I, I was fine with it. Uh, the book was great. But then when he told me the chapter in which he chose to give me to preach on, it was difficult. I was thinking, maybe he did this on purpose. He chose the chapter for me on respect. On respect. And when I first heard this chapter, and as I was reading the book, I kind of thought to myself, respect, that's not too bad. I mean, I've grown up my whole life learning about respect. From the time that I was a little kid up until now, I'm still actively learning about respect. I mean, my mom used to say things to me when I was a kid, when me and my brother would be fighting or wrestling or when we'd be getting in trouble, my mom would say this to me, and maybe you've heard this line too. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Right respect, we've been learning it from such a, a young age. We, we also live in a society and a culture today that we often say this phrase, respect is not given, it's got to be earned. I, I'm just now getting to the age where I have enough years uh, of life experience that I'm starting to look back and say a few little things like this, like, boy, it was easier back in the day. <laughs> Like it just seemed like it was a little bit easier. Things came a little bit easier. Respect seemed to be a little more simple than it is today. The topic of respect in my preparation for this morning proved a lot harder than I ever anticipated. And so as I continued to think about this conversation and this theme and and the way in which respect leads to healing conversations, I finally had to go and figure out what does the word say? What does God's word say about respect for us? But I'm going to give us an operating definition, okay? This is straight out of Dave Roberts' book, Healing Conversation. It's kind of the the focal point for us. It's a definition of the word respect that I want us to wrestle with this morning. And here it is. Respect. The heartfelt, the heartfelt belief in your heart, not your head, but your heart. The heartfelt belief That every person I meet, from every walk of life, from every belief system, from every political perspective, from every race, culture, background, and worldview, has something important to teach me. Let that sink in just for a second. Respect, the heartfelt belief that every person I meet, from every walk of life, from every belief system, from every political perspective, from every race, culture, background, and worldview, has something important to to teach me. I think the reason I struggled so much this week for this sermon was I kept coming back to this idea that do I actually believe that? 
Do I actually live it out that every single person that I meet in this world, that I come into contact, do I actually believe that they have something important to teach me? Or do I only do that with people that are like-minded as me? Act like me, talk like me, maybe even look like me. Do I actually live this way? So I think James, uh, we're going to be reading out of the book of James, and James has something really important for us to say on this topic. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, James chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And here's the thing. This passage is a little bit long. And I'm going to read it, but I want you to stay with me. I want you to stay focused with me. James tells a really, really good story. And as I read this scripture, I want you to imagine this story playing out right here today in this sanctuary, in this place, in this atrium. I want you just to imagine what it would be like if this story actually took place with us. So starting here, James chapter 2, it goes like this. My brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's you and me. He's talking to you and me. We must not show favoritism. Imagine with me. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there, or you come and sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? You've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing it right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not do murder. But if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Listen to this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I was 18 years old, and uh, I was headed to a church camp. And you got to know, I grew up in the church. I've been to many, many church camps in my life. In fact, it was just a, it was a regular thing in which I did every summer. You never miss church camp. You planned vacations around it. You, you went to camp. Done it for years and years. But this particular summer, I was 18 and uh, just had graduated high school. And some friends of mine from, uh, from school, they said, hey, why don't you come to our church camp this year? And so I was like, yeah, that'll be awesome. Let's go. So I ended up going to their church camp. But the reality was I knew what my camp was like. 
I knew what a Nazarene church camp was like. I, I had been many, many times, and this was a Baptist church camp, and so there was a little bit of like, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I'm sure the basics are going to be the same. We're going to go, we're going to listen to a speaker, there's going to be a band, there's going to be games, there's going to be a night where we all cry. I mean, the, 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 the things are the same. Probably get saved again. You know how it works. So I go to that camp, and I remember sitting there the first night, and, and you have that moment where you're there, you're a little bit hyped up, you're ready to go, and you don't know exactly who the speaker's going to be. And so you're kind of waiting, because if you're a camp speaker, you have about 10 seconds before people begin to decide, am I going to listen to this guy this week, or is this my designated nap time? And so they introduce the speaker, and he jumps up on the stage, and my first reaction is, who is this guy? I mean, immediately upon looking at him, uh, he's, he's trying to be way too cool. Like his jeans had holes in them, and now you're like, whoa, whoa my jeans, this was, uh, this was years ago. We bought our jeans without holes in them. He comes up, jeans, just ripped jeans. You're going, not cool, man, not cool. He's wearing a, just a T-shirt. He's got sunglasses on indoors. You're like, not cool. He's got long, mullety hair, and he's got just sleeves of tattoos, but not cool tattoo sleeves. Like, I see some people tattoo. I'm like, dude, those are sweet. These were like, you regretted these. Like, these are not, like, you could go back. You would want to change these up a little bit. He gets up there, and he starts preaching, and he's not doing a good job. He's mumbling over his words. He's, he's just, it's not connecting. I immediately started to sit back and go, this guy's got nothing for me. I mean, nothing for me. And I began to just write him off by the way he looked, the way he dressed, the way he was trying to act. He began to preach a little bit that night about how the world judges the flesh, about how the world looks at the outside appearance the things that are going on in the world looks at that, but God looks at the heart. And all of a sudden, this pastor takes off his sunglasses and he sets them down. And then he takes off a wig I had no idea he was wearing. And all of a sudden, he reaches up into his sleeve and he grabs and he pulls out and he takes off these fake tattoo sleeves, which is why they looked so bad. And he peels them off. He says, God looks at the flesh, or the world looks at the flesh, but God looks at the heart. And in that moment, I began to come to this realization that not only is this not the person that I thought it was based upon his appearance and what he looked like, I began to quickly realize that I had been judging him and I had been discriminating against him and I had pretty much looked at him and said, you have nothing to offer me. So I'm out. You know, the irony of this story is not only did I not know who it was, I found out that it is somebody that I know really well. His name is K.P. Westmoreland. He's a family friend. He grew up around here. He grew up in this church. He did all, I mean, it was not only somebody that I knew really, really well. And I'll never forget that moment that God began to check my spirit at 18 years old. This morning we're going to be looking at something that the church actually doesn't talk too much about. 
Uh, the reality is it's, it's something that we've gotten so accustomed to that we actually don't call it what it is, which is actually sin. And so here's what I want. I want you to know this phrase, okay? I want you to know this word so that when your mama asks you, what'd you learn at church today? You're going to be able to say, this is what I learned, okay? And we're going to be talking about the sin of partiality. Say that with me. The sin of partiality. Like, what's that? The sin of partiality. Let me give you a working definition. Here it is. The sin of partiality is this. Showing favoritism, bias, respect, and mercy towards some. Prejudice, disrespect, judgment, and lack of mercy toward others. I want that to sink in for a second. Showing favoritism, bias, respect, and mercy towards some, and prejudice, disrespect, judgment, and lack of mercy toward others. Sin of partiality. I love the book of James because uh, he doesn't leave us in theory. In this passage of scripture, he he, he doesn't leave us in theory. He doesn't leave us up in the clouds. He says, let me give you a real life example of something that you might be dealing with. And so he tells the people in church, he tells them this. He says, if a man walks in wearing fine clothes and gold rings, he's obviously of some kind of status. He obviously has some wealth and some importance. And we look at that person, we say, oh, I've got the seat for you right here up front. But a poor man walks in and we say, you got to stand at the back or you got to sit here at my feet. James says, it's sin. It's sin. So I've been struggling this week, thinking about going, Lord, what are the places in my life where I have bias? What are the places in my life where I show favoritism? What are the, what are the places in my life where I show judgment? And, and I'll be honest, it, it started kind of small for me. Like as I started thinking about, okay, here's all the little places. Here's the places in my life. Here's some examples. It started small for me. One that popped up immediately was the fact that I like the color red. I'm a diehard Sooners fan, and I'm a Chiefs fan. I've, just, I've committed to the fact I hate the color orange. I mean, I just, I truly, like, I just don't like it. I think the people who made decisions to choose the color orange, they need to make, like, OSU. Like, who made that choice? Like, choose a nice blue. I don't know. It's not orange. I started thinking about, uh, so one of my favorite, and people judge me for this all the time, and I defend it, all right? I don't care who knows. Listen, I love McDonald's, all right? You don't get a body like this without loving some McDonald's in your day, Okay? I love McDonald's. I personally think it is the greatest fast food chain ever created. Listen, it's there when you need one. It's always going to be the same. It never goes away. You're hungry? Wait 10 more miles. They'll get you covered. I had a friend the other day who, uh, who sent me a, a news article, and it was like, this is what you support. So I watched the news article. A lady had bought a McDonald's hamburger 20 years ago. She has kept the hamburger in a box in her closet. She pulls it out, and it looks exactly the same. Like, nothing about it has changed. Like, it looks like you could eat it right away. And he was like, this is what you support. You think McDonald's is great? And the only response I had to that article was, that's a quality product. <laughs> like, like, they don't make it like that anymore. Like, that's quality. 
I'm biased a little bit toward me. I think it's the gra- I just think it's better. I'm a little biased, a little judgmental toward people that follow the rules. Any rule followers? Rule followers. I don't get it. I try to get it. I'm married to a rule follower. I try really hard to understand. She fundamentally believes that rules are meant to be followed. They, they promote life. They, they move you forward in life. They keep things structured. When someone gives me a rule, I'm like, oh my goodness, they're trying to control me. Like, who's at work here? I kind of have this bias. I fundamentally believe rules are meant to be broken. I, I have this other one right now. This, this, one, this one's for real. I, we have two kids now, three and eight. I'm really starting to realize that leaving the house is hard. Like, it's just really hard. If you don't have kids yet, you're going to learn. Good luck. Like, leaving the house, getting in your car, it's just a challenge. But, but I don't want a minivan. I really don't. But I have many friends who have just traded in cool for comfort, and they bought a minivan. And when I see that happen, I'm like, sell out. You sold out. Like, you just bought in, you sold out. Obviously, these are fun. And I started to really think truthfully and honestly about where are the places that really matter when it comes to my judgment, my bias. And I started to think, where does it really matter for you and I? Where are the places that you and I have these things? And we've got to recognize them just a little bit. The one that comes to mind is our generational bias. Look, I'll be the first to admit it. I've judged old people. I mean, I just have. I've judged old people. Old people have judged me. I've seen old people judge other old people. I mean, I, I, we live in a, a world where generational bias, I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in where someone has said to me, I just don't understand millennials. Man, they're lazy. They're entitled. You can't find good work anymore. Generational bias. We have it. We live it. We've got uh, denominational bias uh, all the time. Hey, what church do you go to? Well, I'm a Nazarene pastor. Oh, you got, you're that really conservative denomination that doesn't dance, right? Or, or, or hey, what church? Oh, I go to the Baptist church. Uh, people say, this. oh, once saved, always saved. You're not a real practicing Christian today. You just got saved years ago. and You're still living off that. Denominational, oh, non-denominational. Oh, okay, so you don't actually have a community you're a part of. We have denominational bias. And we, we got gender bias, racial bias. We got some prejudice against what people wear, where they work, what they drive, what kind of house they live in, what kind of educational status they have, how much money they have. Whether they're attractive, what kind of physical condition that they're in. You and I, we live with these types of things in our life. I love to ask questions when I preach. When I preach, I typically always ask a question. Because I want us to get us thinking. But the reality is, is I don't have to ask a question today. In James 4, he asks the question, and he asks the right question to the people of God. And he says this, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? And I think if we were to be truthful and we were to check our righteousness at the door, I think it's okay for us to sit in here and go, Yeah, we have. 
We've discriminated among ourselves. We've been judges. And the beauty in this passage is that that's not sin. That's not sin. Passing judgment, having an opinion, recognizing our differences. The last time I checked, we're still human beings. The last time I checked, I still can see some color. And I know that I'm white. And I know that somebody else may look different than me. I realize that there are experiences that are different than me. I grew up in a different household than somebody. I have some different opinions. I have some different thoughts. I have some different things and ways that I see the world. And that's not sin. And the last time I checked, I think God created it that way. Because in the beginning, he created all of us. And there is no partiality in God. There is no bias in God. Each one of us, he goes, this is who I have made for a purpose. And so James says, the fact that you have different opinions, the, the fact that you recognize where you're different and where it might look different, that's not sin. That's humanity. That's being a human person. And it lines up with the way James would think about sin. Because in chapter 1, when James talks about the sin of temptation, he's basically talking about the same thing here. James says in chapter 1 that when you feel temptation, that is not sin. The fact that you look and go, man, that house is awesome. Boy, wouldn't it be cool for me to live in that house? That's not lust. The moment in which you start to place the desire for that house above anything else and you start to make decisions in your life that say, I'm going to get that house no matter what the cost. All of a sudden that becomes more prevalent in your life than your relationship with God and relationship with others. And then it becomes sin and you continue down that path and it leads to death. So he's saying the same thing here. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? It's not sin. But then he asks a full question. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Because much like the sin of temptation, when I feel temptation and I give in to the desires of my heart and I give in to those evil desires that are in my heart and I begin to act on those, that is when I've committed sin. And here is the same thing. When I give in to my biases, when I give in to my partiality, when I give in to my prejudice and I don't just recognize it anymore, but now I start to make decisions upon it. Now I am living in sin. When we choose to give in to those desires, when we act on those desires, when, when the evil that lives in each of us begins to change our behavior towards someone, how we treat people, how we, we use people for our own agenda, when we elevate our views, our perspectives, and our opinions above someone else's, we're in real danger of sin. When we value our lives over the life of somebody else. So where's the grace here? Where's the grace in this passage? It's, it's found in, in verse 13. Verse 12 and 13, it says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's the thing. If you and I claim to be people of God, 
claim to be part of this kingdom of God. We have got to be people who find a way to be people who show mercy. To be people who show this kind of grace and love that comes from the Father. I want to talk just for a second as real as I can be. If you do not claim to follow Jesus today, if that is not a decision you've made, if if that is not something that, that you believe in or that you're going, man, I just don't know if God, then here's the thing. I have no expectation for you to operate on this level. You will continue to operate on the level in which the world is operating. These buildings and kingdoms that will perish, but the kingdom of God will not. If you don't, if you don't have that in your heart and in your life that says, I'm a part of something different, I am a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, then, then you'll just continue to operate on these kinds of mode where respect has to be earned, not given where you don't have to show mercy to somebody, where the polarization of society we're just really comfortable with, where the extremism on either side is literally ripping the fabric of society apart. See, if you don't claim to be a part of this kingdom, you can kind of just continue to go about your business living with this earthly definition and way of respect and tolerance. But for you and I that claim Christ as our Lord and Savior, for you and I who have bought into a different way of living, a different kingdom, James says you got to show mercy. There's something different here. In Matthew 5, verse 21 through 22, I want to read a verse to you. But before I do, this is the moment in which Christ Jesus was standing on a mountainside preaching to a group of people that were all there wondering, is Jesus who he says he is? Is this the person that is the Messiah, the one who is to come? And he's preaching to these people. uh, Some are believers. Some call him rabbi and teachers. Some are doubters and haters. Some are there for just the show. And Jesus is standing on that mountainside and he's talking about things that they honestly can't even understand or relate to because what he's doing is he's taking the kingdom of the world and he's flipping it upside down. And he's saying, you have been told this, but I tell you this over and over again. So in Matthew 5, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother and sister, Rakah is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. The word Rakah in this passage is translated, you're worthless. So Jesus is saying, if you want to live in this kingdom realm here on earth... And don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Those are bad for society. But if you want to be a faithful follower of me, if you want to live in a different kingdom, then I'm telling you, don't even say to somebody, you're worthless. You're of no value to me. You are dead to me because of the way you believe, your opinion. It does not matter. It's over. 
because even that person is in jeopardy of judgment and missing it. You see, it's important for you and I, it's important for you and I to know that we belong to a different kingdom. The kingdoms that are built here on earth are going to perish. But if you claim to follow Jesus, we belong to a different politic. We belong to a different politic. It's a different way of life. We belong to a different set of values. We belong to a different story. We belong to a different narrative. And we certainly belong to a different kingdom. This is not our home. So how do we live in it? How do we navigate it? How do we find a way in such a polarized time? How do we actually live this thing out? I don't have all the answers. But I think James is on to something when he says, my gosh, have some mercy. Have some mercy on somebody. Give somebody some grace because guess what? It's a really good thing today that I did not have to earn my mercy with God because if I did, I wouldn't be here today. If I had to earn my mercy for it to be given to me, if I had to earn my respect from God to be given to me, I never would have earned it. And if we are to become like Christ, it is that same call. We are the people that just give it away. Nobody should have to earn our mercy and our grace and our love. It should be ingrained in who we are. And it just comes out in every person that we meet, in every place that we go. Mercy has to flow from us because we are a part of the kingdom of God. Amen? It's who we are who we are. Father, I ask, Lord, that you just move in our hearts, that you get us thinking, Lord, that your presence will be with us in these next few moments as, as we process and we think about it. Even some of the silly ways in which we, we have judgment, in which we, we, we pass prejudice, in which we have biases in our life, Lord. But help us to realize that if we can do it in those areas, we can certainly do it in other areas. And how is that affecting my relationship with you and my relationship with others? Lord, help us to be people of mercy, not judgment. This world that we live in, it desperately needs a dose of mercy. And I believe, Father, that you're the only one that can give it. And you want to give it through us. So, Lord, be with us as we respond and as we sing and as we think. Father, help us to be people of mercy and grace and love. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.